Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This is a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars concerning RPG design and publishing. This panel has been recorded at Gen Con 2016 and sponsored by the Indie Game Developer Network. Before we get to the show, the RPG Design Panelcast has a request for you. We'd love to know a bit more about you and solicit suggestions about future panels for the podcast. So if you'd be so kind as to go to tinyurl slash panelcast survey, all one word, and fill out the short survey, it'd be super appreciated. Thank you very much, and now for the show. Episode 92, Introduction to RPG Publishing. Recorded at Gen Con 2016. Presented by Jason Pitt, Shoshana Kesek, and Caleb Stokes. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Recording. So, yes. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This is the introduction to RPG publishing, uh, which is going to be largely horror stories, I suspect, because oh, yeah. publishing is a special special uh, snowflake of a business. So, how many massive companies are there in role-playing game publishing? Well, it depends on what you mean by... Ma- well, first we should introduce oh, oh, ourselves. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, we should tell people who we are. Oh, yeah. Um, so, while she's drinking, my name is Jason Pitt, Genesis of Legend Publishing. Uh, I've published... I want to say about a dozen games at this point. Um, starting, my first <coughs> one was the Spark role-playing game, up to Postum Pathways, my award-winning wacky game on five pamphlets about transhumanism, and a host of other games. And one of the members of the Indie Game Developer Network, which helps us with all sorts of useful things about publishing. Oh, yeah. I'm Shoshana Kessak. I'm one half of the owners of Phoenix Outlaw Productions. Um, we are a, a relatively small company. Uh, we have one game which is, uh, as of today I can actually say this, is in final layout after Woo! the horror stories you will hear right now come from this process that happened. Um, I've been freelancing for uh, four years trying to learn the business from other companies uh, and uh, I work full time also as a uh, Staff writer for John Wick Presents uh, as one of the writers on Seventh Sea. So that's my full time day job now. Uh, so when I'm, my full time day job is writing for RPGs, my part time job is writing for RPGs, and then I design LARPs on the side. So pretty much all I do is design games uh, these days and sleep sometimes. Um, yeah, and I've designed some games for other people's companies as well. So uh, that have published games like uh, uh, Dangers Untold for. Uh, 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 Josh Jordan, God, it's the morning. I can't hear anything, so... Yeah, so go on. You were asking about how many... Yeah, so how many big RPG companies exist? You know, not that many. I mean, like, it depends on what you're talking about by big, right? You're going to talk about, like, scope. You're talking about things like Wizards of the Coast. You're talking about, um, you know, what, you know, what was White Wolf, which is now Onyx Path. So think about the big names that you've played in your, in your time. There's Paizo... Um, and then they scope down from there. I mean, like you're just gonna go through the go through the um, the dealers hall, and you're gonna see names that you recognize from your bookshelves, and then you're gonna see names that you've never even heard of before, um, and then you're gonna see people who came from other countries that you've definitely never heard of before, because there's an entire market in Europe that you may never have even understood or thought of um, at all. So there's that, um, and there are companies down to one guy in their basement, right? And there's lots of those. Which is like us, yeah. Um, so there's hundreds of companies. Uh, depends on what size you're looking at. <coughs> also, I think we might have a panelist that I'm going to force to sit sit up here. Uh oh. Oh, for me? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a ringer, I swear. I mean, just. Um, hello. <laughs> I was literally just coming. To- Yes, this is why I'm making your panelists. Right, right, um, <laughs> Hi, I'm Bill Stokes uh, of RPPR. 
Uh, Roadblade Public Radio. Thank you, Ross. Right. Uh, plug, 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 Facebook. Um, I've been freelancing for a number of years. Uh, I wrote the <coughs> Book for Better Angels campaign uh, called No Soul Left Behind. Uh, I published a book called No Security Horror Scenarios in the Great Depression, which is a systemless horror scenario set in the Great Depression. I'm really good at titles. Um, uh, and I just recently launched uh, Red Markets, which was a Kickstarter campaign this summer, uh, which is a game of economic horror. I'm also a member of the Indie Game Developer Network. And how oh, successful was that Kickstarter? It was pretty good. Uh, 72,000 to work out. It's terrifyingly good, which is something you learn as a publisher. Yeah. On Kickstarter, you succeed, and then you're like, yay, and then the next second, you're like, oh, God. And it keeps going up, and you're like, no, what have I done? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, one of the specific reasons I wanted Caleb up here is I believe two years ago, I ran this uh, one of these panels for you. Yeah. And yeah. now you're sitting up here with a successful $72,000 Kickstarter. It works for Success. me. Success. <laughs> so I'm a testimonial. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Well, this is actually how I got my start also at a panel, at a panel like this that was run by uh, uh, Adam Jury and uh, and uh, Fred Hicks yeah. uh, about eight years ago here. At, and it was like, here's two hours. We're going to write everything on a whiteboard about how you can get into this industry, take notes, and then figure it out. And that's just how I ended up here, too. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were still giving out CD-ROMs yeah, yeah. back then with like all these publisher resources. All those resources are now on these business cards. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have one, you'll get one at the end of the at the presentation. So yeah, publishing. Yeah, publishing. Yeah. Here's a question: How many of you? How many of you are RPG designers in in one way, shape, or form or another? Uh, board games, card games, accessories. All right, whatever. That one, that one doesn't count. But um, how Mark. many? LARPs, yeah, that's another thing. Yes, thank you. There we go. Um, how many of you want to publish your own stuff and start your own company? Okay, so that's why you're here, obviously. Yep. Um, first, good idea going to panels and listening to other people. Um, my first thing was like, why make all the same mistakes that other people are making? Listen to other people, learn from their mistakes. You're going to make all new ones. Anyway, why do both? Like, you're going to have problems of your own. Don't inherit other people's that they've already gone through. So. And a good way to, to do that, uh, there's two podcasts that I recommend you listen to. Uh, one is the RPG Design Panel Cast. I've got about 80 or so episodes, and most of them are panels just like this one, talking about the nitty-gritty of how do you hire an, ed an editor? Uh, how, how do you do art direction? Printing books. Oh, my God. Printing books. Uh, those are on this card. The other one is Game Designers Workshop. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, in case there are children in the room, I won't say our actual subtitle, but let's call it uh, <laughs> Game Designers Workshop Screwing Up in Real Time. So uh, basically, I went to his panel, uh, and then I had an RPG ID idea, and then Ross and I just recorded it. It was like, I have an idea. Let's see what we're doing. And we basically did it in real time as I was developing Red Markets uh, up until the Kickstarter phase and beyond. So if you want to see... If you want to hear someone screw up in real time uh, and run through the minefield first, uh, I, I, we did that. Um, There's also uh, Fred Hicks's blog. If you yes, oh, read yes. priceless. Yes, read all of that. All um, of Fred Hicks, um, just because they also he's Evil Hat's pretty big at this point, right? Like when I started. Um, it was a medium company when I started playing. They were a small company. You you can see the whole progression, um, and they're transparent about everything, including their quarterly numbers, uh, which is incredible. Like they just basically put out everything about like this is how much money we made last year. This is how we reported it. This is what we did. So if you want to look at like the numbers side of things, it's a really it's a really good study on how to you know not screw up your bank accounts. It also saves you a bunch of time explaining things to people. Like in my Kickstarter, like when people are like what. Why is it? Why is international shipping so much more? I just like would link Fred, Fred Hicks Fred, yeah, <laughs> rather than explain uh, international shipping to you. Uh, so yeah, yeah, totally. All right. So, what are the main parts to publishing a game? Writing. Writing. Well, producing it. Yeah. So, writing, uh, editing, mm -hmm. playtesting is sort of half publishing, half design. So let, let's shove that in the design camp so we don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole other panel. Uh, art direction. Mm -hmm. Layout. Yep. Printing. Yep. <clears throat> Kickstarter. Or funding, however you're funding it. 
which is Kickstarter. <laughs> um, distribution uh, slash shipping. And promotion. And promotion. Yeah. Um, so these are a lot of different topics. We're going to go very shallow, shallowly on all of these, if we can, so you can at least know where to get started. But uh, you have to learn an absurd amount of stuff if you actually want to publish games, because each of these things is, is a full-time job for someone, uh, and we do it all ourselves. Uh, well, I'm not, either I'm by wrangling say, or hiring. Well, that's exactly I was about to say, like, Either you learn to do it all yourself, or you learn early on. Like I would write this. Who to pay? Yeah. To do it. Your time equals money. Like write that on the top of your thing and stare at that, because that's what you're going to be fighting. Um, either you're going to do it yourself, and it's going to take a while, and you're going to learn a, a, an absurd amount of <laughs> information about different things that you never thought you were going to do, like business, like law, like accounting, like layout and art acquisition and international IP laws. Uh, and then, uh, you know, how to ship to different countries. Or you're going to pay somebody else to do that. And that's, you know, is that worth my time instead of having to read books and take classes? Um, make that decision early. Decide. If, and factor that into your budget. Just figure that out in the, in the beginning. Do I want to learn all these things and become a jack-of-all-trades? But understand what that means for the rest of your life. Um, lots of lack of sleep is yeah. part of it. You know? um, one good guideline uh, that I've heard from uh, folks like Fred um, is find the things that you love doing. Keep those. Keep those sa- special. Keep doing those. Find the things that you hate in the process. You'll di- you'll discover this as you go through the process for the first time. Find things you hate and then hire those things out. Because you have to enjoy doing it or it's not going to be a high quality product and you will lose your shirt. Or your mind, either way. Really. Yes, all, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, That's such good advice. Uh, my first book, I once spent seven hours in InDesign trying to figure out how to change a page number. <laughs> uh, and then I, like, gone with the wind, swore to God, you know, never again will I open InDesign if I don't have to. I will hire someone to do it. I had that with ISBNs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. ISBN numbers and how to get them. And then thank God, uh, yeah, he solved the problem for me. Um, because I, so the IGDN, Independent Game Developers Network, um, Indie Game Developers, yeah, um, is a huge resource for new people. Uh, you know, honestly, there's a, a mailing list and we all fetch on it about pretty much everything we need help with. Um, I said I don't know how to do ISBNs, and he's like, I have some. <laughs> I spent two weeks trying to figure this out. Um, there are resources; you just need to sort of hook into them. In advance and know like sort of where to go. Uh, and an easy way to hook into resources: contact people like us, and we'll help. Yeah, we're on Twitter. We answer random questions from random people about publishing. And if we don't know the answer, we'll help you find the people who do. That's just kind of yeah. how most of us. That's how we got into this, right? Yeah. Like we were at panels, we meet people. Um, there are some resources at conventions that are really great. Uh, the Double Exposure Playtest Hall, for example, that's here. Um, is really fantastic for when you have games that you're ready to, to you know, play test and, and smash around. The other one is the convention Metatopia. Metatopia. Go to Metatopia if you can. Yeah, it's in New it's, Jersey. Yeah. Uh, it was basically started by a bunch of story game people uh, in a room that would just get together every time there was a double exposure convention on Sunday mornings when we were really tired, and we would just talk a lot about, like, the games we want to work on and the games we're working on. The head of the convention walked in once and was like, there's a lot of you. Do you want me to just make a convention for you? And we were like, yes. And then (laughs) it went from like 50 people to like 300 designers who are making all the biggest stuff uh, showing up and just talking. And then you guys get to bring your games and they will come and play your games. So my first game was set in on by like Rob Donahue, by Evil Hat, Robert Bowl from (laughs) Misfit Youth. And uh, Darren, Darren Young, and, and just like, oh, cool! I have three things on a napkin, and like that, these great guys are gonna crack it. So that will that will do and help you a lot. So. And you get really specialized, useful feedback. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, yeah. So go to Metatopia if you can. It has all. It, it it is this for an entire convention. Yeah, and all the panels that you can eat. Basically. Yes. What was it called again? Uh, Metatopia. It's in New Jersey. Right? Yeah, yeah, Morristown, New, New Jersey. Jersey. So yes, New Jersey in November. November. <laughs> so uh, let's go with the various steps. Uh, writing. 
So you have, let's say you have a game. The game is already designed. Now it's the writing words to explain how this works. You can do this yourself, in which case you definitely need an editor. You probably need an editor anyways, but you can sort of, you can manage it if you're hiring someone else to do the writing. You can kind of do some of the editing. But if you are writing yourself, you 100% need an editor. If you are hiring out words for other people, there are freelancers uh, who are happy to write words for you. Uh, you need to pay them. There are <laughs> rates of pay. Our industry is notorious for paying poorly. The uh, working minimum that I recommend for paying and being paid in writing is five cents a word. Some publishers are moving up to the new SIPWA, uh, uh, Science Fiction Writers of America, standard of six cents a word. Some of the old guard, larger publishers uh, are paying as low as two to three cents a word. To give you an idea, I started and I got half a cent a word. Uh, if anyone is offering you a cent a word or less, uh, they are abusing you. If you are offering anyone a cent or uh, or less Don't. a word, you are abusing them. Don't. Understand that this is something that, like, it's it's uh, back in the day. Like in a lot of places, you're going to hear people say, "Well, just work for exposure, right? Like it'll be good for you to like." You know, to get your stuff out there, and uh, my people answer, die of exposure. That's the standard, right? <laughs> that's the joke. But it's also true that, like, you know, it's it's difficult to say, I'm just going to put all this work into something, and maybe it's not going to even go anywhere, right? Like, maybe the Kickstarter is not going to go through. Maybe this person's just going to like go to Fiji and disappear with all my work and never actually publish the game. Um, some people say that they are going to pay you when the book gets published. No, uh, bad, bad, bad days. Bad. I mean, like that—that's—that's—that's that's that's one of the standard contracts you'll see floating around. Um, if that happens, there's a chance the book will never come out, and you're never getting paid. So, uh, as a as a you know as a publisher, because I could speak to it from a freelancer's perspective, um, but as a publisher, you need to understand that the writers that you hire—if you're not doing it yourself—the writers you hire need to get paid. They're going to be putting a lot of hours and time into this. You you get what you pay for. Like if you wanted to be there and on time. Um, pay them a decent amount. Three to five cents a word is where I was the average when I started, and uh, and that's fantastic. Some great companies are like, no, we're paying ten cents a word, and that's it, um, and that's fantastic. Uh, but don't accept anything less than that, and get it in writing. Yes, contracts. You will be using contracts. There's a number of reasons why. Chief among them is communicating. Quite frankly, most of our contracts don't actually get used for the legal purpose. What they do is they say, your deadline for 10,000 words is September 40th. <laughs> Please, by September 40th, I want 10,000 words. Um, when you do that, I will pay you X amount. I will pay you Y, 50% uh, up front, 50% on delivery. Uh, you uh, make sure uh, you are not allowed to be stealing other people's words. Yeah. If you do so, this violates the contract and I won't pay you. That kind of thing. It gives you a guideline of what's expected. Um, we want uh, 5,000 words about um, orc mating habits. So you know what you're, talk what you're talking about. Something to reference. Um, and it's a great it job. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Um, also, also, what, um, who retains the rights to those to that writing is important. So yep. that should be in the in the contract somewhere. Also, something called a kill clause is important. Not a lot of contracts have these, but um, for example, if you're working with somebody and the situation becomes untenable, uh, like either because of communication, time, quality of work. I mean, like sometimes you get a first draft and it's like you know, yeah, eh, no, yeah. very bad. You need to have a way to kill the contract and basically get out of it. Um, so it'll say something like, if we you know, kill the contract by this date, you get 10% of what I would pay you for your work, and we just shake hands and go our separate ways, and that's it. Otherwise, you guys are both stuck in that contract. I'm, even if it's amicable, it can become difficult. So uh, you want to make sure that there's a way to get out of it. 
um, who owns the words is important, like all rights come to me and that's it and you're getting paid once. If you're giving percentages later, that's important. Uh, all of these things. Having a lawyer that you talk to once or twice is not a bad idea. These, it can get expensive, um, but there are resources that are great. LegalZoom is a great resource uh, to go to because they often have, um, they have like boilerplate contracts that you can look at. Um, and then there's some people in the industry who are sharing some really great basic contracts. We, we, IGDN has, has that resource. Somebody was like, here's a really great nice one. So um, do we want to wait for questions? Or do you want to take- uh, let's just have them scattered throughout yeah. in this one. So, so. I was going to add to that, um, LegalZoom really does have a beautiful independent contractor yep. contract there, and it's easy to plug and play whatever words you need. Yeah. And like, yeah, I found out the hard way on that one. Yeah, I mean, that's... Everyone's going to make that mistake the first time. Even if you are working, I kid you not, with your spouse, you do not want to screw this up. Your best friend, your dog, I don't care who this is, your child, make a contract, make sure it is there so that you have it in writing and that you understand. Because you can make mistakes, honestly. you can. Somebody carries it too and suddenly you owe somebody too much money like for a contract. It's really, like, I ran into this. Uh, it's a problem. And, like, I just, I thought we had agreed on one thing, and it actually was something completely different. And I was like, mm, well, uh, I didn't get that in writing. I got to honor my original thing. So, uh, mistake number one for me. Yay. Uh, yeah. Be careful how you pitch it, like, because unless you've been stiffed on a job, yeah. uh, and uh, you don't really understand it. Uh, and I don't think you should work with people you don't trust. Yeah. But I, I pitch it like, I need practice writing contracts. Because, like, yeah, That's you're good. my best friend, and I love you, but. Uh, I have a bunch of other artists that I've never seen in person live on different continents and I've only met through DeviantArt. <laughs> so I need contracts for those people. So like, uh, but it's obvious people who are like, well, I want a contract, I want it in writing, and like you work with them and you're in the gaming group and like, they're gonna, some people take that personally and it's yeah. not their fault that they don't understand why it's so important. So uh, when you pitch that and be like, well, I need practice doing this. Like, it's not like I think you're gonna, uh, renege on the contract. Uh, I think you're. I, I need to work on this. I need it for accounting. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. I need it for taxes. That's yes. good too. Yeah. My lawyer will get mad at me if I don't do this. Yeah. That's a, like just blame it on the yeah. imaginary lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, there's also the, you know another legal question uh, before we even get into all of this is um, are you going how are you going to create your company is a legal question that you should think about. Are, how are you going to incorporate? Are you going to incorporate? You should incorporate in some way. To at least you know protect your your you know your properties, um, but what kind and like LLCs whatever it will depend on what state you're living in, what country, all these different things. Hi, Canada. Canada, yeah. <laughs> Europe is different. Distribution models are going to be different um, depending on what kind of company you have. Your taxes will look different. Taxes, terrible, terrible things when you have a company. Get an accountant. Just saying, uh, and. Uh, you need to decide that. LegalZoom, again, is a great resource for incorporating. It's just like plug and play. Um, but you should decide what that is going to look like and what ownership looks like if you have multiple people wor- working on it, um, whose names are on the paperwork. Like, this is all stuff. I was a writer. I had to learn this. Like, this is not my, my day job. But it's important to get it down because otherwise, if you do, for example, get $75,000 on a Kickstarter uh, and it's like you in your basement but your best friend also worked on the project with you, who now owns half of that? Like, where, whose taxes covers that? If you get sued, who's responsible for that? Like, all of these things, you may have to think about. And as the publisher, you will have to think about this. You're now in charge of that. So, so that's contracts 101? Um, yeah, I have a, a question about the $75,000 in Kickstarter. $75,000 sounds like a lot of money to people who aren't managers in their day jobs, but I am. <laughs> um, can you speak, and I, I don't necessarily want to press you for an exact figure, but how much of that money ends up in your bank account after all the um, oh, no. product has been checked? Uh, yeah, that's great. No, I, I don't care. So it's about seventy-five. Uh, with the cut between Amazon and the banks and Kickstarter, uh, I cleared about 66, 67. Uh, then I lost about down to 64 ish because I paid backer kit because I had to do fulfillment, which yeah. is another thing we're going to have to talk about. Um, from that, uh, I'm writing a 400 page plus book monster. Uh, so about 25 grand of it's just gone in art. 
Uh, I'm losing about another 8K in editing and layout. Uh, I'm losing, uh, and then uh, at past that point, it was originally a print-on-demand product, uh, which it makes no sense to do a print-on-demand product for a book that got that large and is that popular, so I have to do an offset print run now. So that's, call it 20K for shipping, for printing. Uh, so I'm not gonna see a dime of that money. But you, uh, are, I'll see you a have a dime of books. Yeah, I'll see a dime of every book I sell after the book's done, but I, I haven't been paid yet. Like, I've been working on this book for four years, I haven't gotten a dime out of it. Um, don't make it your day job if you can avoid it, or unless you get a if, unless you get a staff writing gig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but that's also because Seven C did like they were one point three billion dollars. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, that that's legit. Yeah, and I, I'm not paying payroll or anything like that. So um, like, I'm paying freelancers. Just just before we take that question, uh, I was just gonna say I have a blog post on my blog, uh, which is uh, basic budgeting for RPGs at GenesisOfLegend.com where I break down the specific budget numbers, which also hooks into one of Fred Hicks's yeah. uh, blog posts. So that has a lot of uh, concrete numbers you can look at and see where some of the budgetary breakdowns are. I mean, to, to give you the other side of it, like, you know, he did 75. Our Kickstarter did under 10K, um, and we had, we paid some stuff up front. We're not going to see it done um, at all, at all. Uh, um, but, you know, we paid people, and, and uh, but the designer... The writer of it didn't is, is not taking dime uh, of basically putting it out there until the books come out. Um, we paid editors, we paid everybody else, um, but we're not doing an offset print run. It's going to be print on demand for everything. We're just fulfilling for Kickstarter, but that's because we didn't make the you know fifteen twenty k, and that's fine for a first project. That's what we're you know we're aiming for, but. Uh, you know, you have to understand the scaling. We also don't have like the giant book with like four hundred pages. Yeah, it's like under two hundred page book with black and white, tiny book. You know what I mean? So yeah. figure that out early on what you're aiming for. And uh, yeah, and, and to be clear, to get up to that seventy five, which is nothing compared to that seventy. Yeah, I spent four k of my own money on art assets and stuff because I couldn't be like, well, I'll pay if I get money. Four years from now, when I eventually get the Kickstarter launch, I, I just bought art for this like my little notebook project, yeah. uh, and I, but that's helped sell the Kickstarter. You need to have money before you do a Kickstarter. People think that it's just like okay, you're going to show up and do a Kickstarter and make money. Um, you need layout assets to make pretty pictures that go on that Kickstarter. You need a website that goes up there. You need to potentially um, a lot of Kickstarters now, uh, a lot of projects. They're going to ask you, is the book already done? Which is, is, which is a problem yeah. with how things have evolved. Yeah. But, but I mean, a lot of people, you're going to be putting a lot of work into it beforehand. You need to have art assets. So you might pay somebody to do a video. You might, all of these things are going to be free money up front. And you know, the money doesn't clear necessarily like overnight. You have a month worth of managing this. You might want to hire a manager to help you with the Kickstarter. Because I'll tell you right now, Kickstarters take 30 days and it, or, and you're going to be living that Kickstarter for 30 days. And if you have a life or children or a day job, you will spend 30 days having a, a very long 30 days answering emails and doing all this stuff. Having help is something that you might want. Um, I tend to refer to Kickstarters as low-grade conventions. So it's a, it, it's a like simmering convention going on for a month. And, and so it's rough. Like you, you have to have some money up front. We, we spent 2000 up front. Um, that basically just to get that book done, like our book, uh, and that was just on art assets. We we hired the layout people and the artists in advance, like and dropped art in advance also. So um, there were questions. Yeah, yeah, there were questions. Just one real quick follow up. What about taxes on the Kickstarter money? Do you uh, is that considered like a sales? You know what I mean? Do you pay sales tax on uh, that? You, you got to pay tax. It depends on your state. Yeah, uh, that kind of stuff. I and then I'm also holding everything back on taxes. So like that's the thing. Uh, I'm trying to get everything, one of every single one of those things I talked about under budget, yeah. and then I have a section of the budget just for to give to the government. Um, but like, even if you go under budget, you haven't made money yet, like because something's going to go wrong. Like, uh, and many things will go wrong, and if you don't have that money in reserve, so yeah, in, until there is a book and all stretch goals out. I don't get to say I earned this much money. Should you should you plan in the Kickstarter to pay yourself out of that, you or should can? you just wait and hope for World Days? See, that's the thing. Like, and I I also understand like it's exploitative and, and stuff like that. But like, I, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. I teach. I'm never going to stop teaching. I'm never going to do it full time. But I like to make art. 
and I so I don't stiff my freelancers. I pay my freelancers good rate. I pay my art free rate. And then if you're telling me I can't pay myself for my book, that's my art. I feel like that's an overstep of boundaries because like I get to choose what I do with my money yeah. or who I don't pay. And when it's only me, you're going to have trouble convincing me I'm keeping myself part of the proletariat. Um, like yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. That's that's my personal take on it, but I, I see the other side of that. Uh, charity. The the primary thing is when you do your budgeting, budget to pay yourself. Recognize that if you are publishing, you are assuming the risk, and you will use you will usually use the paying yourself fund as your slush fund to cover off things that will go wrong. And if you don't do that, you're going to be paying it out of your day job. I mean, like it is your responsibility. Yeah. To get the project out there, we had a problem, and the money came out of my day job. Like that was it because we didn't. Our budget was tight as it was. We didn't hit the stretch goals that I would have liked, and got as far as I would have liked. And we hit a problem that cost a, a nice amount of money, um, and that held the book back for over a year. Um, so we we're super late on, on fulfillment. But like, it's coming out. But it just takes for it's going to take a while longer than we thought. That came out of my day job. Like I just peeled back like. Okay, I'm not getting that tattoo I wanted. Like that's the end of it, um, and that's you just got to do that because it's your responsibility. Even if you can't just say to the backers like, "Sorry, like that's that's not." People do that. I wouldn't suggest it. Yeah. But I mean, to be clear, my my book as it is now is 245,000 words long, of which I've written 243,000 words. If I paid myself five cents a word, I'd be down almost 20k. <laughs> which would be awesome. But then there would not be You a will book eventually to exist. get that in sales. Yeah. 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 That's well, what I was going to But hopefully, that, that, that's the game. You will. Yeah. Uh, I believe so, in you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's basically pretty much what I was going What I was wondering was when you do the Kickstarter and you successfully finish the Kickstarter and you fulfill the backers, you know, whatever they pay for. Do you usually end up with inventory enough for you to recover in the long run, whatever it is that you invested, or is that like a. Typically. Depends on the print run, right? Yeah, so, okay. like, if you do if you do print on demand, which is what you know they suggest for smaller print runs, mm -hmm. it's you're you're potentially going to make it up in PDF sales, in okay. in people who go to um, you know the um, drive through RPG, yeah. Amazon stuff like that, and then just print on demand. You get a cut. You're not going to get a huge cut. You might not get what you might get at a convention by like give me a book and give me that. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, also there's a huge problem with keeping inventory. Because if at the end of the year you have inventory, it's considered assets, and it, it'll screw your taxes completely. So if you have books, you have to count it, all those books as assets at the end of the year. So it goes on your taxes as something that you have to pay taxes for. So if you have a ton of them sitting around and you don't sell them, you're... So you need to go to the convention circuit and try to get them yeah, out too. Yeah, and, and just so don't make more than you can... I've seen people mulch entire book lines. Because then you can write it off. Yeah, as guys like casinos... There's no bigger gamble than what you set for your print. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like somebody's gonna run over a bunch of books with a car just to get rid of them yep. at the end of the year. Like, why would you waste that money? Like, if I print a thousand books, my cost per unit is ten dollars. Mm -hmm. So let's say so for fifty dollars, I gotta give the distributor a fifty percent discount, or they don't buy it because they can't make their bid. So now my book costs ten dollars to make. I'm making fifteen dollars off the book. Uh, if I sell every unit, I make fifteen dollars for every unit I make. If I printed two thousand dollars more, my cost per unit just went down to six dollars a unit. Oh, really? And now I sold that much more, and now I'm making an insane amount of money more than I used to, unless those books don't sell. And then I just bought a storage locker for a bunch of boxes. Or like and now everything is I'm losing more money than I would have if I went smaller. It is a gamble. Yes. It is like roulette wheel roll the dice. Uh, yeah. About demand, can you extrapolate based on your Kickstarter interest what you can foresee in demand for the next year or two? And, but that's the absolute best thing about Kickstarter, especially yeah. if you go POD, you don't have to guess. Yeah. This many people want the book. Well, if anybody well, wants it after, that, that's it, fine. It gives you a floor. Yeah, it gives you a floor. Bare minimum, this yeah. many people want it. So. Um, just to help on that front, um, for example, what my first game, which was good, um, it was my first game, uh, was Spark. Uh, I ran Kickstarter. I got $12,000. I sold about 300, um, 250 copies uh, in 2013 via the Kickstarter. I have 
sold um, and gotten rid of about uh, double that number of additional sales since 2013. So, uh, you know, three years later, triple what my Kickstarter was. But that also in terms up, of long tail sales. But that also brings up a, a thing that's on the other end of this, which is uh, sustainability. So, like, if you're going to create the game. Uh, how are you going to sustain uh, promotion? How are you going to keep people interested? How are you going to spread it to other markets? Some people are like, okay, I just want to put this game out there and it'll live on Amazon and it'll live maybe on you know drive through. And people will every once in a while, like I dropped a game called Service. It's a short LARP. Like it lives on drive through RPG. And uh, yeah, yeah, I made $40 off of it. Like it, I wrote it in a very short period of time. Uh, nobody worked on it but me and one artist. That was it, done, finished. Um, it's made maybe $100 in the whole time. And I don't care because... I did it as a labor of love. If you put this much effort into a book, you probably want to sustain it for a little while, and then you got to talk about how you're going to keep that going for a few years so that you can get people to keep buying copies in different markets. So that becomes another, like, like that's the final thing you have to worry about. Uh, uh, to, have any of you have seen value in hiring freelance project managers to actually take care of this, all these nightmares for you? Uh, there is a value, yes. When you're just getting started, I would recommend uh, stepping back and learning more about the process beforehand because that's a that is a risky decision to make. In my can opinion, can you speak about the risk? Uh, you are paying the project manager with money that you have not yet earned for a Kickstarter, um, and if you haven't done the necessary research. Uh, read it up on everything that Fred Hicks has ever written, for instance, then you may not be able to tell if the project manager is doing a really good job yes. or just getting a paycheck. Sure. So uh, you need to have the 101 level knowledge on all the various areas of publishing in order to be able to know if it's a worthwhile investment to hire someone to do X component. On the other side of it, there are people who have been in this industry for a long time who are names, yep. who are project managers, who you can look up and, uh, like, for example, uh, Mark J.S. Truman runs, uh, you know, Magpie Games. He's been in the industry for a while. He was the project manager for the 7th C Kickstarter when it blew wide and it was great. Um, if you go to somebody who has a known reputation for doing a good job, um, you know you're going to be taken care of. You know that, like, and not only that, and this is, might sound mercenary, but you also know that their name is going to carry you a little bit further because they're going to reach a wider audience. Um, and on top, reputation for delivery. Yeah, and on top of that, you know that you're not going to hit all those speed bumps that you might, uh, because that person, you might hit a few, but this person at least has the known experience. And also, again, time is money, and also your, your agita, your anxiety, you know that you're being handled by somebody who knows their business. Um, your focus then is on producing a good game, right? And like focusing on the things that you're good at. And the fact is, if you've got the money and you want to do that, go for it. But a lot of people who are going into this are going into it probably with not a ton of capital, like under their belt, right? Like, right. so like if you have you know two two pennies to rub together at the beginning, it's a great thing. But like, if you don't, and you know, then you can't really go in that direction. Yeah, when you said, does that have value? Uh, my it has value, yes. My, my immediate thought was like, yeah, healthcare has value too. It doesn't mean I have it. Uh, like, uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta prioritize what money you have and what you can yeah. spend. Uh, and like, so yeah, I'd love to have a project manager, but I mean, so, because I can, I can, I can enslave my project manager when I, yeah. my project manager's me. Just put your uh, project manager harder. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah. One more question, and then we'll move on to uh, a, a couple other areas which we haven't touched. Quick question: um, Print on demand, like drive through RPG yeah. and all those sites and everything else. Like when you're doing a quick start, because I'm planning on doing yeah, yeah. or something else, a comic book, different story. But yeah. um, logistics-wise, isn't it smart to go with them so they do the delivery and all that stuff? Kind of. When thing? you're starting, it is smart. Yeah. Okay. It is a good, safe, low-risk place to go because you can buy ten copies. Mm-hmm. And then you only have to sell 10 copies. You have 10 copies in inventory. Um, they take a cut. They, take, yeah. a cut. they yeah. take a cut? Yeah, it's a small cut. Yeah, that's, but, but like that is a very nice, safe way to start. Publishing small, publishing print-on-demand are the uh, safe uh, routes. Alternatively, you can do a massive 
uh, a 400-page okay, beautiful, beautiful game with an offset print run. Yeah, but, but that's a riskier path. But Red Markets was planned to be uh, paperback, 300 pages, black and white, POD. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have loved to have stayed that way. But at a certain point, once we hit color stretch goals, once we hit more art stretch goals, once we hit hardcover stretch goals, at that point, if you're PODing my book as what it became through the Kickstarter, uh, to print a copy costs $30. So I would get $20 of that off a $50 price tag, and then every cut would come from that $20. So distribution cuts would come for that $20. DTR oh, no, no, cut. distribution cut would mean that you're losing five bucks every book. Yeah, I'd lose five bucks every book if I did distribution. And then uh, through DTRBG, I'd only get 65% of the $20. And so, and so I'd be making less on this game that I'd worked four years on than mm -hmm. my 120-page black and white thing that I used to sell. So it's the size of the print. Right? Yeah, so at, that, at yeah. that point, it didn't make sense. Now, I plan what if, and I know how horribly egocentric that sounds to like start a Kickstarter is like well what if it's just a sensation and it goes thousands of percents over the budget like it, I feel like a jerk every time I do it but you have to plan for that what if and so I had a plan in case we got to a certain level and we're you like, used it yeah we're like okay hardcover will move to move to an offset print run we'll keep the paperback as a POD, POD. Uh, and I've done the research and the prices beforehand but that seems utterly ridiculous to do when you're just working alone in the basement. But you still have to do that. Um, the other good thing, um, by the way, about community <clears throat> just before is yeah. um, they take care of, these days, it's gotten way better because they take care of shipping for you. Mm. Um, so you can literally hand them a spreadsheet and be able, IPR is the other one um, yep. that does this for you. You hand them the spreadsheet with all the names and like uh, they take care of the shipping. So you don't have to sit there with boxes and dragging pallets of things to you know an angry uh, postmaster. Um, so that that's good, and also now they're starting. If I remember correctly, they're also starting to take care of some international options, uh, which is nice because international shipping will kill you. Yes. Um, and so, like, you, like just tell people who are international, like, give me thirty dollars and you can get your book. Like, that's pretty much what you're going to need to do to cover. We're used to it. Yeah, everybody knows now. It's just twenty-five to thirty dollars it, to get brutal. a book overseas, and maybe it'll get there. Maybe. Maybe. Um, so uh, we we need to uh, tackle a few other things, and uh, just so you know, uh, I am leaving in a few minutes because one of the things as a publisher is I'm going to work uh, at our booth and sell products at the IGDN booth 2311. Uh, so I need to run out for logistics for reasons, but some of these people can stick around a little yeah, bit I, longer. Yeah, I can hang out and talk afterwards. Um, so, uh, yes, other things that people need to be aware of. Art direction and layout and editing. Editing. General rule of thumb that I tend to use is editors get paid per word for the entire project at around half the rate as writers. So I've seen two to three cents bandied about. Um, this is just in our industry where we are underpaying everyone. They should be paid more, but... Uh, <laughs> You can also sometimes work out like if it's a if it's a larger project or whatever. It depends on you know how new you are. Sometimes, like if you're looking for a good editor and you you talk to them and you're like I'm brand new, sometimes they'll have a little you know like pity on you and basically be like, okay maybe I can lower my rate a little bit because you're brand new. Um, but don't don't rely on that. Yeah. That's not a thing to ever rely on. But don't scrimp on your editor. That's really important. And there are two different kinds of editors. Know the difference. There are developmental editors and there are copy editors. Developmental editors are the people who have done this before. They know the industry. They know the kind of books that you're trying to create. They know everything from what the section of your books should be to how information should flow to the mechanics and what they should be, potentially. But this will be confusing to people who like Apocalypse World. Maybe you should change, say it in a different way. Yeah, exactly. And that's super important, especially when you're starting out. Because you want to know that, like, oh, putting chapter six before chapter four makes absolutely zero sense. And you might not pick it up in playtesting because uh, ga uh, gamers will uh, intuit things. Play players will intuit things because they know playing. Um, but if a developmental editor looks at it and says, this doesn't fly, um, you, you need to have that. And then you need somebody who tells you that you put commas in the wrong place. Yeah. Um, um, you should be using the Oxford comma. This is the copy editor. Yeah, and those are two different things. Sometimes they come in the same person's body. Those people are great, um, but sometimes you might end up actually having to pay two separate people. Um, not usually. I've most of the time found people who do both. 
Yeah. Which is good. Um, so that is editing 101. Uh, art direction 101. Games need art. It can be a very small amount. It can be icons. Uh, Neon Project, which is on all of these cards, uh, is has a lot of really good uh, free resources for that. But art communicates setting. It uh, gives you an, ex- an extra context channel to communicate things that base words may not communicate. Themes, moods, it, it does a ton of heavy lifting, and it's super weird that we do this in role-playing games compared to every other kind of publishing. Uh, the amount of art that feeds into it is super interesting. Now, um, art direction. You have to make sure that the styles match the kind of book and experience you're uh, trying to produce. You have to have enough of it for your purposes. You have to be able to afford it. Uh, and a key thing is to make sure that the art in your book is diverse and representative. Uh, everyone has seen the, uh, the uh, books with chainmail bikinis on the front cover. And as a customer, I look at that, I turn away, I run away the other direction, and I am not spending money on that product because there is no space for sexist imagery in our industry. So pay attention to uh, including, say, women with agency in your art, people of color in your art, people with disabilities in your art. If you want a good model, uh, Fate Core and all the Evil Hat uh, publications are a good uh, benchmark to look at. Um, they're a bigger publisher, so they can have more art than we would normally uh, be able to afford as small indies, but they do a good job in art direction. Same thing in terms of the style of inclusive art. Uh, look at Seventh Sea uh, by John Wick Presents. Also, remember the IGDN. Ding. Also, the, uh, book, the book is in those. It's gorgeous. It's, it's gorgeous. Here. It's beautiful. So you can take a look at it. And it they it does. Uh, Marissa Kelly, publisher of Papillion at the IGDN. Um, did an amazing job in art direction for that book. Uh, so take a look at those as models of the kinds of art that will serve your audience and the community well. But but looking at those books, also underst- you got to understand what kind of price point you're looking yeah, yeah. at. Um, so that that you, when you're doing a small book, um, understand art is super expensive and it should be. Um, artists should get paid. Just writers get paid, so artists yeah. don't. Again, the exposure thing. Don't do that. Yeah. Like, even if your artist is just somebody who's in college, like, don't do that. Like, just there are there are base prices. Um, people again. Well, there there's some people you'll meet on DeviantArt, which are great, and they're just starting out, and they're like, cool. I'll do 20, 20 bucks for a black and white sketch for you. That's fantastic. Have a good day. And if they're great, like, then do it. Um, you know, but uh, always understand that you have to pay your artists. And be clear about who owns the art afterwards. Um, basically be like, okay, it's going in the book, we own it, that's where it is. Or tell them, yeah, you can sell it, but just put our name on it, that like it's in our book, whatever it is. Make sure you have contracts, understand where it comes from. Um, and this is like, these books, depending on how many pages you are, you're going to be making a lot of art. And uh, how much did, I'm curious, how much was your art budget again? Your- uh, 25K. 25K, yeah. On every four pages, though. Yeah. Which is industry standard. Uh, bare minimum industry standard uh, for like the bigger play- yeah yeah houses. big player uh, yeah most most uh, if you're in your basement you can't really do that. we yeah. did we did for a 200 page book we've got 30 pieces of art and that's actually quite a bit um, I think I'm gonna have like 150 to 200 which is um, nuts job so full time job right uh, one thing I will say because I'm from Missouri and I completely agree that you on an ethical basis that you need diverse. Uh, representation in your art. Um, I'm from Missouri. I'm not allowed to present ethical cases that like women are people and there are races other than white folks. Uh, so I have to be cynical about it. Um, and one thing I should say is that um, if you want to be completely cynical about it, being diverse is a business statement yes. as much as an ethical statement. Do you want to sell a book? Be a nice person. Like, uh, do you want to sell a book? 
allow, allow 50% of the human population to play it. 51. By, yeah, 51. By not being a super creep about representat representation. Um, so like, also uh, it gets around. I mean, yeah. like, like people talk about it in the industry. It's a huge topic of conversation. If you want your first book to be the one that has the the incredibly uncomfortable like you know stuff in it, then sure, that's going to be the reputation of your game. Yep. that's what you're carrying forward with you. Enjoy it. Like it's, also, it's promotion. Like if that's your political statement, your ethical statement about what I think about art and representation with games should be, that's free advertising. Yeah. Same thing as like if I'm willing to tell you my budget numbers. Yep. It's not just because I like don't understand like how to keep my mouth shut. It's because a I don't care because what are you gonna do with it? It's not that much money. Uh, and uh, b I want you guys to know my name. I want to talk about it. I want to help people. That's free promotion. Like the more you can open source, the more you can be transparent about your process. That's free advertising. Like that's advertising two birds for one stone. That's uh, not like making a sell sheet. We will answer questions at the end. Uh, well, they'll answer questions. Uh, so there's one last thing that we need to talk about before I flee. Leah, it's an entire domain of wizardry. I do it because I decided I'd learn every step of the bloody process. It's sorcery. It's sorcery. Um, now, there's a lot of professionals you can find who will do this. Leah 101... Uh, there is uh, the uh, non-designers design book. Yes, read that. Read that. It will give you the foundation that you need uh, to talk with layout artists and do basic layout yourself. Yeah, and you have to art direct layout. Yes. If you're not doing it yourself. It's um, just another piece of art. Now, one thing that you uh, need to know is that there's two programs functionally that are used for layout. One is cheap. One is good. <laughs> uh, if you want to try your hand at things, uh, Scribus is free. I have a tutorial and a template on my website, which is on my cards. Uh, it's a YouTube video that goes through and shows you how all the widgets work. InDesign is what all professionals are using. They both work but Scribus makes me pull out my hair. Um, InDesign is much more elegant and expensive. Well, yeah, if you're not if you're not going to be doing like this professionally, don't get InDesign. There's no reason. There's so many good layout artists. Pay them instead. Yeah, yeah. Like, they it, know it's what a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Because it's... It, there's panels dedicated to layout, so yeah. Uh, if you want to look at a good person who does a blog about uh, layout as well as game design, Daniel Solis is uh, a great, great, magic. magical human being who did one of my games and many, many, many of the glor glorious games you'll see. Um, his blog is all about not only designing games because he's brilliant on so many levels, but also uh, about designing uh, stuff. The thing that I would say for, for, for layout is just walk around the dealer's room, look at the books you like, then read who did it and then go bother them if you want to hire them. Like, just send emails, find out who they are, Google them, and if they have time and if they're available, but understand you're paying for quality. Like, layout is one of the more expensive things that you're going to be doing, and uh, if you're, like, it's probably not, it's not bigger than your art budget, but it's going to be, like, you want to put in the money for quality. Um, and also, when you contract them, also, the same thing with artists, make sure you put into the contract how many revisions you're going to get, how much back and forth you get, uh, because otherwise it's like, here, take this thing and then never talk to me again. Um, that's something that you want to make sure uh, how many revisions you get. All right. And these two... Good, fast, cheap platitude. Yeah. Yeah, that's always pick two. These two will answer questions. I'll hand out cards and go and work a booth. Yes. Uh, so. uh, yeah, because we have five minutes.